Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back and we are talking with you guys today about a topic that seems to be on everyone's mind. And so we felt compelled to step away from our normal podcast fair and present our opinion. Um, We're really starting with the facts and then our opinion on what's going to come from this big, um, you know, really, I would say, substantial and potentially significant uh, litigation that's happening against National Association of Realtors and all the big uh, real estate brands with regards to uh, really what amounts to buyer agent commissions. Yes, that's exactly right. So we're going to sort out the facts. Uh, there has been a lot of discussion. I've seen people posting on blogs and Facebook and this and that. And then we're going to talk about what we think will come next as well. That's right. So we're going to give you the dry sort of you know drill down points. And I spent, this is something I put together uh, last maybe three days. And it was really hard to find these facts, and I because most people out there are not really giving you the drill down facts, especially when we are looking on YouTube and whatnot. There's just not a lot of really deep drill uh, drill down content, so that's what this is going to be. So the first ten facts that Julie is about to share with you, they're kind of boring, but the fact is that you should know about these things. So that then the second part where Julie and I um, will make our suggestions as to what might come from all of this and what you should be doing about it will make more sense. So the first part is going to be sort of the, you know, the meat and potatoes of what's going on. And then the second part is going to be how you can prepare and frankly, how you can make the most of the new uh, changes that will most likely be happening in the market as a result of this litigation. That's right. And those of you who like to take notes, you will want to jot down some of these facts and then how to think about it as we get going here. So the National Association of Realtors, we'll call them NAR, is currently facing multiple lawsuits related to their Buyer Broker Commission Rule, also known as the Participation Rule, and their MLS policies. Now, these lawsuits could have a significant impact on real estate agents and the industry as a whole. Here are some, uh, we have 10 key points to consider, but before we do have to do a quick little disclaimer note, we are summarizing what this litigation focuses on. We are certainly not attorneys and we have, uh, or have any legal opinions. We're gonna go through the top level details and then we'll offer our opinions on what will happen next and what agents should be doing about it. So no, we are not attorneys. No, we're not attorneys. We're just your local friendly podcast uh, coaches uh, for real estate agents. But we don't really, uh, we sort of understand the complexity of what's going on. But for the most part, it's not necessary that any of us really have an illegal opinion about what's going on because it's not really salient to what effect this is going to have or could have on your real estate practice and when it comes to you working with buyers or sellers. And that's what the second part of today's show is all about. So Julie, why don't you go through these 10 points? You got it. We're going to go relatively quick because we're just laying the groundwork so you understand what we're talking about. Point number one, and I hope I say this right, the Merle, M-O-E-H-R-L, the Merle case is one of the most prominent lawsuits against NAR claiming that the organization conspired with major franchisors to inflate commissions through its MLS policy. Now, again, we're not going to offer opinion on any of this. This is just what essentially the plaintiff's attorneys 
um, in the class action lawsuits are alleging. So whether you agree with it or don't agree with it, we're not going to comment on it. We're going to hold that off for the second part. Point number two, another lawsuit was filed by a private real estate listing service alleging that NAR adopted a policy to protect its member-operated multi-listing service against competition. Okay, I'm not really sure why that's part of it, but point number three. Yeah, okay, point number three, (laughs) NAR has denied the allegations and vowed to defend its policies in court. That's right. These are just facts, right? Okay, point number four, these lawsuits could potentially change how agents get paid and real estate and how real estate operates in general. Point number five, the lawsuits claim that NAR's policies lead to inflated commission rates making it more expensive for home sellers. Okay, we're going to stall out at this point just so we can bring you all up to speed. Just FYI, on this podcast that we've been doing for about a decade, we've been suggesting that there would be a time when we were assuming it would be competitive pressures that would start making the buyer's agent commission something that was no longer an entitlement to the transaction. And uh, what does that mean? Right now, when you're working with buyers, you just automatically assume that you're going to be earning something, whatever your going uh, commission rate is in your market, for bringing a buyer to you know to purchase the home, right? That's how the real estate industry has worked for a long time in the United States and in Canada. So the reality of it is, is that this lawsuit is alleging that sellers were, in essence, coerced um, to uh, essentially pay the buyer's agent's commission, not given a choice as to whether they're uh, able to pay the buyer's agent's commission. And the National Association of Realtors and the local MLSs and the big brokerage brands were also in on the conspiracy, uh, the anti-competitive actions to force homeowners, sellers, to pay the buyer's agent's commissions. Again, we're not offering opinion on that, but that's the essence of what this is all about. Point number six. Yes. Okay, so at number six, if NAR were to lose these lawsuits it could lead to more transparency in the real estate industry and more choices for consumers. I think that's fair to say. Uh, let's see. I actually read two points at the same time. You so did, love, but, it, but know you know I what? I, I it, guess they're it, kind of the same. Yes. Okay, let's go on to point number eight. However, others believe that the lawsuits could harm small and independent real estate brokers and agents by reducing their ability to compete with larger firms. Which is definitely true. Point number nine, the lawsuits could take several years to resolve and outcomes are uncertain. And point number 10, in the meantime, it is important for real estate agents to stay informed about the progress of these lawsuits and prepare for potential changes in the industry. Now, before we get to the conjecture part, uh, let me just summarize. First of all, these lawsuits are going to take a long time to work out. And, And I don't want to step on any future points. So nothing is changing quickly. So I know there are a lot. The hype train has left the station. Uh, it's headlines, pretty much all the real estate press about how it's the end of Buyer's Agents Commission. At this point, nothing could be further from the truth. That's right. So I'm going to do this part and then mm-hmm. we'll move on. I'll say, so in conclusion, then, the lawsuits against NAR related to, again, this goes back to their buyer broker commission rule and MLS policies could potentially have significant ramifications for real estate agents and for the industry as a whole. The outcomes of these lawsuits are currently uncertain, but they could lead to changes in how commissions are structured and paid to agents and potentially increase transparency and choices for consumers. It's important for real estate agents to stay informed about the progress of these lawsuits and to be prepared for potential changes in the industry. This will be an ongoing story, perhaps even for years. Years, You'll hear about it from us. If anything significant happens, we'll be discussing it. All right, so here's the conjecture part. This is what we think is going to happen next, and we're going to do these points, and we're going to vamp on them a little bit too. So point number one, as I just alluded to, litigation by design is a very, very slow process. So nothing is going to change anytime soon. And frankly, uh, if NAR is victorious in these uh, settling of these lawsuits, 
then nothing will change at all ever. Uh, so yeah, so keep this in mind. This is just the start of a process that is by design going to take a long period of time. Point number two, I researched this too and I found um, different numbers, but over 90% of all litigation is settled pre-trial. So most likely what's going to happen is there'll be a settlement. This won't be going to court. This will be a settlement that's going to result in essentially maybe some money exchanging hands, maybe some procedural changes. And um, now this is where it gets kind of interesting. Pacific Northwest MLS has had a uh, essentially adopted policies, and this was quite a while ago, and I'm researching this too because I don't have all the drilled down facts. A lot of our uh, coaching clients and those of you in our EXP group, you've been uh, informing me about this. So what has happened in the Pacific Northwest is when you go list a property, you are given the seller a very clear option as to whether they want a co-op or not. It's not something that's just a checkbox. And a lot of you, in most of the MOSs, it does very clearly give the seller um, you know, the room to state what they want their co-op commission to be, if at all. And it does very clearly state what, you know, the purpose of the commission is. Where we get into the weeds on some of this stuff, and I think it was uh, Keller Williams, actually, they specifically were cited in, in some of this litigation, I think another uh, case, where in their MAPS coaching, it was specifically telling uh, coaching agents to, in essence, coach their sellers that if they don't offer a co-op, that the house will sell statistically for less or might not sell at all. So uh, whether that's a factual statement or not, those are the types of things that we'll suggest would be removed from agent training, which we've never taught agents to say that. But in addition to that, it'll also then be, uh, create. there'll be a form that's created. You guys can see how all this is resolved if you're thinking about this through in your brains. Last time you listed a home or sold a house to a buyer, how many forms did you have to sign? We'll right? just add another form or two. It's going to be a lot of forms. That's what we anticipate is going to happen. But really what's going to happen is uh, what we're about to share with you. And this is, and again, Julie and I have anticipated that there was going to be essentially a, a end to the entitlement of buyer agents commissions for a long time. And when Julie and I sold real estate in the 90s, that's when buyer's agency really came about. And it was a real big surge. It was a movement inside the industry where people were getting their ABR designations and all these other types mm -hmm. of things happened. But there's something else that's magical that happened back then that we suspect is going to be uh, happening again very soon. And we're going to get to that as point number six. All right, Julie, you can go ahead and uh, roll to point number three. Point number three, buyer's agents will continue to have an important role in the real estate industry. However, buyer's agents will most likely adopt a far more professional and rigorous approach Specifically, buyer agents will need to learn how to formally present their value to the buyer and what the buyer agent service fee will actually be. Now, I put that in, Julie. So I didn't want to call it a commission because mm -hmm. I can see from a marketing perspective where they're going to start calling it a buyer agent service fee. For sure. You know, they're not going to use like uh, continue reading the well, point. Well, let me the, finish yeah. the point. Okay. So in other words, the buyer's agent has been paid as an expense to the seller. In the very near future, the buyer agent's commission, or maybe called service fee, will be an expense to the buyer. A buyer agent co-op will no longer be an entitlement to the real estate sale. In other words, it won't be baked in and assumed. Well, again, this is assuming the litigation. Actually, we think that this is going to happen no matter whether the uh, whether NAR and the MLSs are victorious or not. We do think that there's going to be a very clear... Uh, explanation to the seller about what the buyer agent commission is. And we do think, similar to Pacific Northwest, that there's going to be a vast increase in disclosures 
where the seller is sure. going to be given the choice as to whether or not, where I think it could be argued, maybe you know, right or wrong, that it's just now uh, presented to the seller that it's assumed that they're going to pay a co-op. That's right. So keep in mind the buyer could ask for the buyer's agent commission to be paid for by the seller as part of the purchase agreement, much like a home warranty and many other expenses. That's kind of a predictable move as well. And I have to say, Tim, uh, by coaching clients who are doing these off-market deals, they're already having to do all this. Well, ever sell because a house. it's it's not a listed property. Well, exactly. Ever sell a house that's uh, owned by for sale by owner? Um, same process. But again, so there was a lot in that last point. But here's really what the big takeaways are going to be. When you are a listing agent, it's a skills-based approach. You have to go out there and explain your value to that seller. While they want to list with you, how why you're you know essentially going to get them a better list-to-sell price ratio, what your days in the market are, what your marketing plan is, what you're actually going to be doing uh, to actually get the home sold. And it's going to be a competitive situation. For the most part, a lot of agents are attracted to working with buyers because there is never any explanation. They don't have to actually... Um, sell the buyer into working with them because at the end of the day, the seller is going to pay the, the commission or the co-op. And so in a situation like that, a buyer will just uh, choose to work with whatever agent that they like. Well, after all, they, they're not out of pocket, right? It's not the same as a seller who you give a seller's net sheet to, here's going to be the commission and all right. these fees. And the seller has to calculate, does that make sense for me to move? Buyers, not so much. They just want the right property and you are between them. So a buyer working with buyers, and if you've been in the business for more than five seconds, you know this is true. Working with buyers is more of physical labor, certainly, as Julie says in our best-selling book, Harris Rules. But it's also a lot of social stuff. There's not a lot, you are not going to, there's no selling of a house to a buyer in the literal sense, right? A buyer likes it or they don't like it. There is selling you to a seller as to whether or not they're actually going to want to work with you. That takes skills. That takes knowing essentially how to be a professional, whereas working with buyers, I'm not saying working with buyers, you're not a professional. What I am saying is the skill set necessary to be a successful buyer's agent, at least you know at present, is vastly lower than what it's going to take to be a professional listing agent. I think everyone can collectively agree on that. And that same, I would say, knowledge barrier is also what prevents a lot of you from moving forward and becoming listing agents. And, you know, that's unfortunate because you can learn how to be a listing agent, especially in a time like this where there's so much uncertainty. We are seeing hundreds of you join our premier coaching program every month, and we've made it very easy for you to do so. Our primary focus of our coaching organization from day one has always been teaching you guys to be listing agents. And our theory was, again, that guess what? Buyer's agents commissions in a competitive market situation, if a seller is, you know, you can see, you can visualize, think into the future how in a very competitive listing situation, which we're going to be in for years to come, the buyer agent commission is the big red flashing light where sellers are going to ask, why am I paying this percent to somebody who's effectively working against me, right? So that's going to be hypothetically removed as an entitlement to the transaction. The buyer agent will have to validate, prove, sell to the buyer why they're worth whatever they're charging uh, to you know, essentially show them properties. And that's going to totally change uh, essentially the skills necessary for buyer's agents to be successful in this marketplace. Well, and in Premier Coaching, we have had for years the buyer presentation, which drills down on exactly why they are hiring you. And it covers all of those things that you guys like to hate on buyers and say crazy things like buyers are liars. They go and find a house. They don't, you know, they go and contract without you, all of these things. So the buyer presentation is a great first step in actually validating why a buyer, what are you worth to a buyer anyway? What if they do have to pay you? What are they getting? Well, th- we're getting into future points, so let's not step on any okay, of our future sorry. points, but I want you to hear what Julie just said. 
If you, Mr. Buyer Agent, now have to sit in front of a buyer and explain to them why you working, you know, for them to hire you, it's going to cost a percent or a flat fee of whatever the sale price is. How many buyer's agents out there are going to even stay in the business? Because a lot of them aren't going to want to learn the skills nope. or they're certainly not going to feel comfortable having conversations. If you're, let's say you're in a marketplace, just a hypothetical marketplace where the buyer agent commission is 3% and it's a million dollar house. How many agents right there, buyer's agents out there right now who are working with buyers because they know them from church or they know them from wherever socially basically are going to feel comfortable explaining to their buyer who they sit next to in the church at the church pew every Sunday why they have to pay 30 grand for them to help them buy that million dollar house. Very, very few buyers are going to have or buyers agents are going to adapt to that skill level. And that's unfortunate, but it does create opportunity for those of you who accept True. the fact the market is going in that direction. And I'm going to say this now for the third time. There is no reason to believe that that is not the direction the market is going, um, litigation uh, or no litigation. That is the direction that, that all of you need to be focusing your efforts where you're going to need to learn how to explain your unique selling proposition to those prospective buyers. Do we think buyer's agents commissions are going to go away or you know, service fees? Absolutely not. What you're going to see is a massive bifurcation in the industry between, frankly, professional buyer's agents that are, you know, thinking like professional listing agents do now. And Julie said it, you know, you're going to have to have a formal presentation, obviously your agency form signed. But how about this? Something that most of you avoid like the plague, an actual, honest to God, buyer's agent agreement with that buyer. Listing agents get listing contracts signed. You're now going to be having to get buyer agent contracts signed where it's going to obligate that buyer to pay you a commission. That is our theory. We've been talking about this for well over 10 years, and now we're seeing it's finally playing out. That's right. So another thing that's going to happen, point number four, companies selling buyer leads like Zillow, et cetera, teams and brokerages who have business models overly reliant on buying buyer leads and buyer side transactions will need to adapt. Again, that point goes to our previous thought that it's not that they're going to go away, it's going to change. Okay, point number five. Well, let's yeah. slow there. So if you are Zillow and you're making all of your money still selling buyer leads, which is what you're selling to agents, and those agents who are buying those leads now have to get those buyer leads and then explain to that buyer lead why they're worth whatever the percentage that they want to charge. Think about the value proposition that Zillow is going to offer you. In a lot of cases, you guys are paying Zillow a referral fee. If you're a flex agent, what are you paying? 35%. Some markets 42%, I think, right? So now you're having to pay this you know, ridiculous service fee. And then when that uh, buyer shows up in your life, you're now going to have to explain to them why they should work with you and why you are worth whatever percent you're um, essentially charging them to work with the essentially, you know, you guys get it. So, yeah, which might not be even the traditional percent. Maybe it is a flat fee, which means that you're, what you paid Zillow for that lead is even more of a percent of the transaction. Per, right. But personally, I think it's still going to stay. I think fun, fundamentally, we can get to point number five. Well. Things are going to stay the same, operate the same, but the only difference is the people that are doing the transactions will change and those, those are going to be the skill-based agents. And again, if you guys have not yet joined Premier Coaching, text the word Premier to 47372, text the word Premier to 47372, or just go to premiercoaching.com. You can join right now for free, and yes, that does include a daily semi-private coaching call. We do have a very robust uh, chapter section in, uh, we call them levels, in Premier Coaching that's all about working with buyers. It gives you a buyer's presentations. It, it uh, gives you all the USPs 
that you want to be presenting to your buyers. So not only do they sign the normal state agency requirement forms, but they're also signing a contract where they're agreeing that they're going to work with you for a certain amount of time and that they're going to pay you whether it comes from the buyer, whether it comes from, and we're about to share with you other sources where the, uh, the uh, essentially traditional co-op might come from, they're going to be obligated to pay you, not necessarily the seller. If the seller is not going to be willing to pay it, you're going to then, Mr. Buyer, have to pay me. That's what these contracts are going to say. Are you ready to present to buyers at that level? You are not. That's the reason you need to get your skills on. Text the word PREMIER to 47372 and we'll text you back a link to the website. You can just enroll or just go to premiercoaching.com. Remember, when texting, message and data rates may apply. Okay, point number five, buyer agent commissions will potentially be financeable. It is realistic to believe that Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, etc. will actually allow buyer agent commissions or service fees to become a normal financeable expense to the buyer. The fee could be rolled into the mortgage. Now think about it this way. It could be argued that buyers are already paying for their buyer's agent commissions because that's probably baked into the sale price. Would home sale prices be lower if there were no buyer agent's commissions? Probably. No. No, no way. Of course not. Think if there about were that. no buyer agent's, oh, they're sudden, not just going to lower it. To, right. Yeah, that's, that's no true. way. That's true. So if home, if, yeah, if home prices were lower, if there were no buyer agent commissions, think about that. So if all of a sudden there were no buyer agent commissions in every MLS across the country, and that basically buyer's agents were no longer getting paid, do you think the sellers would all lower no. their price by what they're previously co-oping? No, no, of course definitely not. Definitely not. And we know that from for sale by owners, new construction, exactly. and all the rest that's no, so, proven so that point. The moral of the story is the answer to all these questions is there's a built-in buyer's agent commission, and it has been. Like, it, it, Julie, you and I talked about this. It's fascinating to think. When this litigation originally uh, was starting to boil up in just, you know, different forms, the buyer's agents commissions have been a factor in the values of homes since forever. Like literally hundreds of years. And they're part of the long-term yeah. legacy of property values. Absolutely. They're not going to all of a sudden collectively go down by whatever the co-op has been traditionally in no, the marketplace. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's just kind of a... I, I mean, think about it. I, I think about things logistically, right? Because, you know, we actually sold real estate for a living. Think about what that would do to comps. Are your comps going to have to have a disclaimer how much buyer's agent was, uh, you know, rolled into the purchase price? That would be a nightmare. I, I agree. I don't think it's going well, like to change. Well, like when you go to car auctions, for example, or most auctions, when you see the actual hammer price published, it almost always includes the buyer's fee. That's, you know, and I don't know if you guys knew this, but in a lot of auctions, the buyer pays an additional 10%. That's before, you know, whatever sales taxes they might have. And they know that going in, right? Right. So you, you know, that's, you know, effectively, that's already factored into the price. So if you're selling, let's say, for example, some old beer can collection, and let's say it's, you know, goes for sale and it sells for five grand. I don't know anything about beer cans. I don't drink beer, but you guys get the point, right? And that sells for five grand and then the buyer pays a buyer's agent commission, the published price is going to be $5,500, which means the next guy, you know, when he's selling a similar beer can collection, he's not, he's going to be basing his floor as to what he expects the thing to sell for at 5,500, not five grand. And that, uh, you know, obviously accumulates over a long period of time when it, with property values or asset values. So you would, you know, that's a way of explaining that buyer agent fees are already financed in, in the sense that it is baked into the purchase price. Well, so this is what I was alluding to earlier, back when buyer agent commission originally came out. And honestly, I don't know the answer to this question. I don't know whether Fannie and Freddie still allow um, a line item for buyer agent commission to be financed as part of the transaction. I know that that used to be part of the deal mm -hmm. where you could actually write a purchase contract 
and have that be a line item that would show up back when we used HUDs now right. before settlement statements, where it did say buyer's agent commission paid by the buyer, but financed as part of the mortgage. So, you know, they're going to be, I'm sure there's going to be some elasticity and sure. how a lot of this is going to work out. But it, what you're going to do initially is you are going to ask the buyer, I'm sorry, the seller to pay the buyer's agent's commission, just like you ask the seller to pay a home warranty if you are asking sellers to pay home warranties. Look at how title expenses are, are, are split in most markets, how title insurance is split in most markets. Sure. So that's going to be what's going to most likely happen in some form. Uh, and again, this is not going to be a national law. You might have, like I was mentioning earlier, Pacific Northwest who's figured out a, a way to handle it themselves. Oh, it's an interesting note. I hope I'm getting the name of the uh, MLS right. I'm pretty sure it's Pacific Northwest where they started this, let's just call it a vastly higher level of disclosure, explaining to the seller that they didn't have to pay the commissions for the buyer's agent's commissions. And let's just say it was onerous for the listing agents to try to explain to the you know, listing. It was a lot of extra work okay, sure. to the sellers. Mm -hmm. there, were no difference, there was no difference in the number of uh, sellers that were choosing to co-op and there was no difference in the average co-op that was being paid. They just stuck to whatever was already happening, right? Well, exactly. So the buy, the seller was like, and, and why? This all comes down to sales skills. Because if a seller, if you're explaining to the seller what all their expenses are, and you show the seller what their net is, this is how much you're going to walk away with at closing, and this is how much you need for your next transaction, pretty much most sellers are going to focus on the net as they should. Because that makes, you know, it's one of, it's, it's that's the funny thing about commissions. Mr. Seller... I'm sure you'll agree that it doesn't really matter what my commission rate is as long as the amount of money that you get from the sale of the transaction, the check I hand you at closing, you know, meets or exceeds your expectations. What difference does it make what my commission is? Whether it's a dollar or whether it's $100,000, it's what you make, not what I make, right? So this is all a skills-based approach. Add that to the disclosures, and I think that you're going to discover in a lot of cases nothing's really effectively going to change. And I want to also mention something else, Julia. This wasn't one of my points. The reason that buyers, in our opinion, this is the conjecture part, we're not attorneys, not offering legal advice, but the reason that buyer's agents exist is because buyer's agents, and this was point number three, offer tremendous value to the marketplace and the actual buyers of real estate want to use buyer's agents. Mm -hmm. If buyers of real estate did not want to use buyer's agents, they would not use buyer's agents. Oh, Tim, it's not done that way in the rest of the world. I know, but for example, in Australia, which a lot of people love to bring up, most of the properties are listed at auction and there was never an infrastructure in place in their system when they were setting up the real estate system to pay buyer's That's agents right. commissions because their system was based on how it was done in the UK, where there is no Buyer's agents. Basically, there's listing agents and they're called estate agents, right? And so when you're trying to compare our system to their system, if you were to offer to consumers in those markets what we have, all of them would want to take it because then they'd actually have true representation as we have in the United States. So the reason that buyer's agents exist and continue to exist it's because people want them. Otherwise, the market forces <laughs> be gone. would be gone. They would rule them out. Why am I paying you? I don't need you anymore. Buyers, agents are a necessary part of the transaction. It's become how real estate is done in the United States. Yeah, you're going to fight hundreds of years of history trying to turn that ship around, right? Okay, however, again, things may change. Point number six, discount brokers, flat fee brokers, and there are brokers that do things like 500 bucks to list your home. Those types of brokerages will suffer from this. Why? Most discount brokerages make very little profit or sometimes even lose money from listing homes at those discounted rates. They list homes for a flat fee, anticipating that the listing will generate buyer leads. If the buyer agent commission co-op is now technically a buyer's expense, 
How will those broker brokerages survive? How many buyers can transact of the buyer's commission is if it isn't paid by for the seller? If the buyer can't afford to pay the buyer's agent fee, or maybe the buyer's agent commission isn't financeable. Right. So here's the drill down on that point. There was the number one listing broker in Columbus, Ohio, when Julie and I sold real estate in central Ohio, was a flat fee broker that listed real estate for $250. And guess what? $250 per yeah. listing. And you only pay, no, I think you paid up front too. You did. You did. You paid up front. And by the way, they're also the number one source for expired listings. <laughs> yeah, well, they did take a lot of listings, but right, right. So they didn't sell. Now, why were they? How could that that you know math actually work? It only worked because they got so many buyer leads, and then their agents that would go working for that broker were able then to peel off the buyer leads, and then they're selling houses to the buyers. Do you guys get it? That's how a lot of these discount brokerages have actually made their math work. Now, if all of a sudden those very same uh, buyers agents are having to um, you know, sell to the buyer why they are worth a certain amount of money. That is going to put an end, in our opinion, to a lot of these models because a lot of these models are predicated on a lot of folks that are essentially working uh, with in real estate with not the highest of skill levels because working with buyers, as we say, as I think all of you will agree, is mostly physical labor. With working with seller, working with sellers is mostly mental labor. Julie, what did you mean by that when you wrote that chapter in our book? Well, I mean, ask any buyer's agent today. They're pretty clear on the physical labor, hunting and pecking for listings, you know, we have entire podcast series about don't even rely on your MLS anymore. You've got to go do the work. You have to open the doors. You've got to drive around. You've got to map it. You've got to figure out how to compete in most cases. That is physical labor. It causes you guys a lot of stress. Well, nights and weekends you give up. You don't go on holidays. You're, you know, Johnny and Susie. You've you got to jump when something pops up. Exactly. That is definitely not an ideal lifestyle uh, that provide, that outputs a lot of, frankly, um, ups and downs in cash flow. If, if you have any cash flow at all. Versus being on the listing side of things, where you learn the skills to be a listing agent, you know, you learn the listing process proactively, generation pre-qualifying, presenting, you have a real negotiating, contract. closing. Right, you have a real contract. There's real expectation set. Mm -hmm. You are an actual professional. Oh, and by the way, when you build listing inventory, then all those buyer's agents are out there showing your house your listings for you. Essentially, you get a virtual sales floor. When you're a listing agent, you now are employing every agent that's in your MLS out there to sell your listings for you. That is a really sweet setup for listing agents, for sure. Yes, Whoever originally came up with that model should have won the Nobel Peace Prize because <laughs> it's exceptional. But at the end of the day, if you have to choose which side of the business to be on, always choose the listing side. And that's where a skills-based approach comes in. Now, agents would naturally get into the buyer and into the business and maybe even you know start focusing on working with buyers. Why? Because it doesn't require a high level of skill. It doesn't require a high level of, frankly, knowing how to present um, you know, financial scenarios and have mm -hmm. conversations that would make people, frankly, a lot of people very nervous to have. Well, there's every reason to believe that's about to change. And you're now going to have to sell to the buyer. Now, soon, no. In the future, yes. You're now going to have to sell to the buyer what you're going to charge them to provide the buyer agent service. Oh, and you won't, every single buyer's agent is going to have to do the same thing. So your, every single buyer's agent is going to have to get the state agency form signed, most likely get some iteration of a buyer's exclusive buyer's agency contract signed, where it specifically says what that buyer is going to be paying for the services you know, rendered by said buyer's agent, right? That is going to require a lot of uh, you know, massive learning curves for at least half the agents in the industry. Well, I have to tell you straight off of my coaching calls, this is already happening. For sure. Okay? 
And regardless of the litigation that we're talking about, that was the, at the top of our podcast today, that's what started this whole discussion because this has bubbled up and people are talking, <clears throat> excuse me, talking about it. So what I'm seeing, because all of my private coaching clients are, yes, of course they're using the MLS and most of the time their buyer agent side commission is going to be paid by the seller. However, they now have wised up and almost to a person are doing specific agreements saying, if it's not covered, probably the, the seller's going to cover it. But if it's not, you're going to be responsible for this, including if we go and contract on new construction where they're only play, paying on, say, the cost of the lot or they're only paying on the base price, you're going to be responsible. So those things could happen. Well, okay, so we're going to go into a couple other could happens. And this I'll give you seven and eight. These are our last two points. Um, I think number seven and number eight, frankly, are going to happen. I think it's already baked in. So, Julie, what happens to MLSs? Point number seven. Well, will large brokerages drop out of the well-established MLS system and form, form their own similar systems? You know, they're already doing in-house deals, right, where it's an in-house listing that didn't hit the MLS. So that could certainly happen at a higher level. Well, it only makes sense that some version of that is going to happen. If the big brokerages decided, it already is happening, Right. You know, you can call them whatever you want to call them. You can say it's against MLS rules or whatever it is. But for example, there are large brokerages, large national brokerages that do have systems in place that when a listing is taken, that the listing is offered to the uh, agents in the office prior uh, to them being offered through the MLS. And you have to have a seller signing a form disclosing that they know that this is what's happening and the process is all papered up and everyone's understanding what's going on. But that does give the agents in that particular brand an advantage over, say, for example, the buyer's agents that are waiting around, waiting for that new listing to pop into the MLS. You guys get the point? So there's going to be more of that. There's going to be more private listings type widgets. There's going to be more. And who gets pissed off in all this? The buyer's agents, because they're the ones that are not they're not given the opportunity to essentially sell those listings. But the small and medium brokerages or the standalone teams, they're the ones that are going to suffer the most in this next iteration of real estate. And that's leading to point number eight. Point number eight, big brokerages could become even bigger. It is realistic to see it, it is realistic to see the economy, housing market, and long-term inflation and how they add ramifications to this point. Do, why, so why would big brokerages become even bigger? Well, it's because that's just the nature of how markets evolve. I mean, you don't I, I'll give you and I talked about this, right? Mm -hmm. When I was working on these points. Yeah. Um, back when um, cars, right? Mm -hmm. So back when cars started to be made, everyone thought, well, that's just some goofy little thing and no one's ever going to you know, use that toy and I like my horse, right? And then over time and not that much time, there weren't just you know Ford, GM, Chrysler, Mercedes, Ferrari, Porsche, blah, blah, blah. There were a billion car manufacturers, mm -hmm. especially in the United States. So everybody and their brother was, were, they were making cars. There wasn't a lot of technologi technology sure. that was evolved. A lot of it was made of wood. Mm -hmm. And so what happened over time is that a lot of those dealers or a lot of those manufacturers either went out of business or were acquired by others. If you look at GM and you look at all the brands that they own, that's what it was. It was over time, these smaller brands got consumed by the larger brands. That's what's about to happen in real estate in a big way. And again, the idea is that you're going to end up with very few large players and all the small and medium-sized players, they're not really going to have a place in the marketplace. And they're not. And it's not going to be something against small or medium-sized brokerages. I'm not offering an opinion. When I'm, I'm not offering an opinion as to their superiority or inferiority to provide a high level of service versus big brand brokerages. Not saying that whatsoever. 
What we are suggesting is, is that they're not going to choose to be uh, in operation as independents any longer or smaller, medium-sized brokerages because it makes more financial sense for them to be aligned with a large brokerage. And I also suggest this, the day and age of the franchise brokerage, how does that exist with all the added cost structure that's built into a franchise brokerage model? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, they're already living on a really slim margin. Right, exactly. And so these are the types of it's competitive market forces that are natural and normal to enter into any market. But what happens is in a market like this, those things are now accelerated. Again, litigation is going to put fuel on that fire, but the, the market, the industry was already going down this road. So what do you do with all of this? You, again, go back to the first you know, point in the second section we gave you. Understanding that nothing's going to happen fast and your right is rain and you can take a breath and you know nothing's really going to change. And maybe nothing will ever change, period. So this litigation... Could be resolved. I mean, I, you know, NAR is pretty much the biggest, <laughs> you know, I think they're still the biggest industry lobbying group in the world. Yeah. And you know, they're going to use, they're going to, they're going to fire all cannons after this. Sure. And just to think that anyone's going to roll, it, that NAR is going to roll over is, it's never going to happen. No, they have savings. They have attorneys. They have a legal team. They're going to battle this. Well, this is an existential threat in a lot of ways to NAR. So mm -hmm. they're going to fight like hell. I would imagine. And, and you know, it's so fascinating. I'm not going to get on a tangent about this, but so many of you gripe about your NAR dues. I'm glad you said that because that's really true. And I'm so, I don't get it. I don't understand why you guys would just complain about it. And the only answer is because you don't know what where the money's going. Where the money's mm -hmm. going is to keeping the industry so that you actually have a job. And I'll tell you guys the true story. So Julie and I were very instrumental in a lot of coaching and training on behalf of the lenders. And we did some coaching and training for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac back when the real estate market exploded. And so Julie and I are on the phone with, I think this guy, he wasn't, he was from the FDIC, I think. Mm -hmm. Something I like that. We were on the phone with somebody who was explaining to me that there was a meeting going on. And this is exactly how, as much as I can remember, I'll get the details right, but I just this is to make a point. No. This guy was an attorney with National Association of Realtors. Okay. That's, I, I remember it clearly now. I, I, almost, I think his first name was Steve. Mm -hmm. All right. So he, there was a meeting going on that was happening at the FDIC. Now all my facts are returning yep. to me. And the, it was amongst the big banks, Sheila Baird, and a whole bunch of other, you know, those types. And he wasn't invited to the meeting. Okay. So National Association of Realtors, representing all of us, they weren't invited to the meeting. And guess what the topic of the meeting was? Wait for it. Wait for it. Real estate commissions. Because there was going to be, and there were, a lot of distressed properties that were coming for sale. And what the big banks had tried to do is an in-run around um, the National Association of Realtors so they could start dictating to the industry what the commissions were going to be on short sales and on REOs in any form of distressed properties. Weren't they properties. like flat out trying to remove the commission altogether? They wanted to control what it was going to be and they right. wanted to make it, I think, again, I'm foggy, but I think he said they wanted to make at less than a thousand dollars or something. So what they were trying to do is they were trying to make it, the banks were obviously trying to lobby the government to try to make it so that the banks would then start dictating on distressed property that uh, what the listing agents and buyer's agents commissions were going to be. Well, you could just imagine had they been given that power, what they would have done with yeah. that, right? I mean, they would have gone to town, not just for distressed properties, but you know, for every day, for every transaction. Precedent, so, right? They would have changed the industry. NAR found out about this. They walked in and they basically stopped it from happening. So when I hear you guys, some of you gripe about your NARS dues, there is no real estate industry without the National Association of Realtors. There is no real estate industry without your MLS. There is no real estate industry without you guys boots on the ground doing your jobs helping buyers and sellers. That's the reality of it. 
So don't worry about what's happening right now. Don't worry about whether you're going to have a job. Don't worry about whether buyer's agents are going to be relevant. If anything, as things get a little bit more, you know, confusing, the need for buyer's agents is actually even more important, but not all buyer's agents. Buyer's agents that actually have the skill set to earn the right to be of service to buyers, which is not all of you, because some of you are just going to pick up a deal here and there if you're lucky, um, and you're not really ever going to drill down on your skills and try to become the highest level of, you know, a professional that you can, had you known how to answer all the particular questions that the buyer's going to have. Now you have to explain to the buyer why you're worth a certain amount of money, and all you're doing is going to the MLS and showing them listings that they already found because they went to Realtor.com uh-huh. themselves. Yep. You guys get it? That's where this industry is going. Where are you going? Are you going to be Are you going to be with us or aren't you? It's going to be your decision. And I'm going to tell you one of the smartest decisions all of you guys can be making right now. You need to be taking a serious look at EXP Realty. EXP Realty, in our opinion, based on the numbers, based on the growth, based on what's actually happening is going to be the largest real estate brokerage on planet Earth. EXP right now is in all 50 states and 24 different countries. We have never seen in our entire industry a company that's able to move so fast, be so adaptable, and offer agents like when we're having this conversation, some of you, and you're listening to this podcast every day, a lot of you say, well, I never have my broker, my office manager, not even my real estate coach ever talks to me about stuff like this. We talk about this stuff all the time mm-hmm. at EXP Royalty, right? So be part of where the industry is going, not where it was. And don't delay making this decision. Julie and I are personally inviting you to join us at EXP Royalty, and you can go about it two different ways. If you're just getting started and you want to learn more about EXP, just text the letters EXP to 47372. Or if you're ready to land the plane and you're looking for a sponsor who will be very proactive in your success, not just selling real estate, but also sponsoring other agents at EXP if you choose to, we are formally applying for the job of being your sponsor at EXP Realty. Text me directly on my private cell phone at uh, 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. But like I said, if you're just getting ready and you're just wanting to learn more about EXP, there's some great videos waiting for you. Just text the letters EXP to 47372. And when you do, um, you will be able to check out what our group offers in addition to all the many benefits of EXP, healthcare, revenue share, all kinds of amazing things. And remember when texting message and data rates may apply. So Julie. Yes. You are coaching some of the top agents in the country, mm-hmm. and they are dealing with all these stuff, all these changes already, marketplace, market forces, all these things were happening anyway. This is definitely going to accelerate the changes. For sure. Tell me what you're telling your agents. Well, we're going through all of their situations, of course, and we're having conversations like this. Are they in a buyer agency agreement? Have you had a buyer presentation? What are they expecting from you and what are you expecting from them? Okay, so slow down. So you're telling your buy, your agents to have a converse, to coach their maybe buyer agent staff or even if they're working with buyers themselves, which mm-hmm. most of them are, that you're telling them to get buyer agency contract to sign. Yes. Uh, sign. So what if they say, well, I don't want to ask, ask that buyer to sign a buyer agency contract because none of my competitors are doing the same and I'm afraid that buyer is going to ditch me and go on and work with that uh that other buyer's agent because they're not asking for a contract. Well, that's the exact reason why you need to be the professional in the group and actually do a real presentation. Remember, it's, I, I know this for a fact, right? Why do agents resist that? Because they, a lot of them have tried it maybe once or twice and th- exactly that happened. Well, nobody else asked me to do that. Well, other agents, and that was the end of the conversation. But other agents are saying, oh, I don't get dyer's agents contract signed. Nobody does in our marketplace. And the reason that you don't, uh, that you're worried about getting them signed 
and you're not going to have a choice but to get them signed in the very near future is because you don't have any unique selling propositions and you know it. There is no compelling reason why a buyer is going to want to work with you. Exactly. Now, when you ask for the signature, it's closing them as a result of a great presentation, which was you selling them on you. Right. So you have not actually learned how to sell them as to why they should want to work with you other than the fact that you know them from the dog park. You guys get it? Those day, That day is coming to an end. You're going to have to learn how to be a professional, not just on the listing side of things, but on the buyer agent side of things as well. You can do it. And again, I'm, here's how my mind works. I'm excited about this because those of you who are listening that are actually going to do something about it are going to have an unfair advantage in the marketplace yep. because when you meet with a buyer and you know, you're know you explaining to the buyer why they should work with you and you're explaining to the buyer all the unique selling propositions you have, any pre, any other buyer's agent who they are, oh, we met at Starbucks and they showed me a few houses. Don't you think that that buyer is going to see you as the professional versus the, that, uh, that other buyer's agent? Just having a professional approach to real estate, just having on the listing side, a pre-listing pack, just pre, you know knowing how to pre-qualify them. Actually being a professional gives you the competitive market adv advantage that many of you think you have to you know, buy through branding and buy through social media and buy through all the rest of it. It's your approach that makes the difference because that's what makes people want to work with you. You'll get more referrals faster than any other way by doing that, by being a professional, by getting them their dream house, by selling their house in the time they needed it to be sold. You want to get more repeat and referral? Do a killer job. So in conclusion, you will be fine. You need to adapt. You need to change. Welcome to life. Uh, point number two, if you have any script, even remotely in your mind, where you're talking with a seller and you're trying to, and you're not really clearly making it clear to them that the buyer's agent commission is an optional part of the transaction, mm -hmm. that you know, if you're doing any sort of, I think anti-competitive, we could be argued, coercive conversations with the seller, not making it very clear how the commissions work, then you need to stop doing that post-haste. Yes. Anything that sounds like if you don't do this, then that will happen to you. Right. Unless you can prove it, which by the way, in some markets you can, but for the most part, you're going to want to step away from that type yeah. of language because it could be argued, maybe it could be argued successfully, that's a, that, that is anti-competitive. It's coercion. It's, well, it's anti-competitive and it's illegal. So just keep these things in mind. Yeah. Again, for now, business as usual, but the smart amongst you, we'll move towards what is the inevitable future, which we've presented to you today. So we uh, hopefully have covered all the bases on this particular topic, and we've given you guys more of an in-depth drill down than perhaps you even wanted. That's right. But you know, the bottom line for me from a coaching perspective is that agents that are open to changing and upgrading their skills and are flexible enough to do that and don't say stuck in their ways, well, this is how we've always done it, and I don't do this, and I don't do that. The agents that are most flexible and versatile are always the agents that make the most money. For sure. Because they have the most clients. Just the very nature of wanting to learn how to be more competitive actually makes you more competitive because you start... I'll give you an example. Okay. So um, Matt, who I am coaching on Wednesday, mm -hmm. and uh, he is... I gave him a challenge. I think of setting three listing appointments from our first call to our next call. He's a new coaching client. Very nice guy. A very, you know, I wanted to see what he could do. So he came back the following week, our call on Wednesday of this past week, and he actually created four rock star level listing leads. Now, where do you get these listing leads from? Two of them came from for sale by owners, but the other two came from him being situationally aware in the marketplace. 
actually having conversations with people, which led to listing leads. One of them was actually helping a neighbor. And it turns the neighbor wants to sell her house. Those types of things. It's tuning his brain into the fact that everywhere around you at all times is opportunity versus I got to go buy a lead. I got to go work on a TikTok video. So hopefully I get people to want to call me. The fact is you guys are in a blessed position. You are in the greatest industry ever created at you will discover over time at one of the greatest times to be in the industry. The wind is at your back. If you do not feel that, and if you're frankly not paying attention, there is going to be an enormous surge for the rest of our lives of people that want to buy and sell real estate. The largest number of people in the history of people are now wanting to buy and sell real estate. So you are in the right place at the right time. And guess what? We're not going to see any noticeable property depreciation because no. of the ridiculous inflation that's going to be with us for a long period of time. So you're selling something that when somebody buys it is going to be what will work out to be a great return on investment in most cases. Um, and you're selling at a time where, and you're in the industry at a time where there's a ever increasing supply of customers that want to do business with you. You are selling something that everybody needs. Now, let's just say we have a recession. Let's say we have hard economic times on, you know, on a, a national level. You are still selling something that everybody needs. You're not selling, for example, you know, expensive home stereo equipment, or you're not expel selling things that people could do without, or, you know, you guys get the point. You're selling something that everyone needs. I don't shelter. Know yeah, shelter, right? Unless, yeah. unfortunately, they're homeless. You're, people can lease. Well, maybe you're leasing properties. But there's always going to be a demand with, and always going to be people that are going to stand in line to do a transaction, to buy or sell a home, no matter what happens with interest rates, what happens in the economy. If you go back to the you know really nasty inflation bout that we had in the 70s and into the early 80s, guess what? People were still buying and selling real estate. Yes, with double-digit interest rates. Yeah, 18 point something percent. I think the top was about 18%, and both of our parents bought back then. They did, and guess what? No worries about interest rates uh, increasing anytime soon. They're going to stay where they're at, which Julie and I have been predicting, yep. right? Julie and I have been suggesting that that was going to happen for what now? Two years. We did not think rates were going to go up. Uh, they did go up higher than we predicted, but now they've fallen back down and you're going to watch. They're not going to go back up again. Uh, all of this is very predictable. So guys, stay tuned into um, the reality that your best years of life, let's hope, but at least in the real estate industry are still ahead of you. So make the right moves now so that you lock that in. And step away from the fear, step away from the negativity, step away from the people that are having, trying to convince you that the best days for our country or the best days for your life or the best days for the industry are behind us. People have been saying crap like that my entire life. People have always said that. There's people out there that love to wallow in discontent. Those are not the people that you need to be associating with. And if you are, well, disassociate with them and upgrade your environment. Well, you know what's really cool right now about a changing, shifting market is because of all that confusion and all the different data points that are out there for, not for real estate people, but for your average, you know, American citizen, we'll say, okay? They're confused by all of these different competing messages. For you to be the light in that storm and say, you know what, here are the facts, A, B, C, D, and E. It is such a relief to those prospects and clients to have somebody actually educate them, lead the way, and accomplish their real estate goals instead of being part of the confusion. You, I've seen some of the most amazing testimonials lately because clients are so much more appreciative when things are more confusing. Completely. And, and you know, that's ultimately why real estate agents, and I don't care how sophisticated the AI is going to get, 
I did work on the AI podcast, guys, but man, that's a lot of work to try to figure out a way to present that on a podcast. But, you know, it, I'll tell you Coming what, soon, perhaps. It, it was kind of funny, though. I was asking chat GPT for about like the future relevancy of real estate agents. And I asked it in different ways. And it was so hilarious how it always went back to, uh, you know, the AI. Oh, here's really the bottom line. So AI is going to essentially be operating all of your different systems for you. What do I mean by that? You have a CRM, you have a this campaign, you have a that campaign. You even have your Apple TV. You have all these little widgets and wadgets and apps, let's call them. The apps are just nothing other than software that you don't really even know how to use. Or there, you know how to use maybe 10% of them. Well, what AI is going to do, and these, this is what, um, and I'm not going to get on this topic, but I think it's just worth fast. It's Again, those of you who are fear-mongering over AI is going to get real realtors, hell no. AI is going to empower agents to be massively more effective uh, with the use of their time. And frankly, if you are in some aspect of real estate where it's transactional, like for example, a transaction coordinator or something that's going to be easily replaced by AI, yeah, you probably do have some headwinds. But the reality of it is for a vast majority of you that know how to have actual sales skills, know it how to have and willing to have actual conversations with people, you are going to make a fortune. Because again, the AI is going to not replace you, it's going to replace all the things that you don't know how to do, don't want to learn how to do, are too complicated to know how to do. So imagine, for example, your AI real estate assistant, that you're most likely going to have to pay virtually nothing for it. And you're going to tell the AI virtual assistant uh, to do every single thing that now maybe you have to have three staff members to do. How soon is all this technology coming? This year. I think you're going to see, and we're already seeing this, an avalanche of uh, apps and add-ons that, um, yeah, that are getting developed right now that are first going to be revolutionary to the scheduling aspects of life, right? All these calendars and all the all the other widgets, right? They're all going to have an overlay of an open AI, um, you know, add-on or, you know, an open AI extension. So you're going to go to open AI, an open AI extension. Let's just call it, you know, schedule me, whatever the hell you want to call it. And what it's going to do is it's going to interface with whatever your existing calendar app is. And you're just going to have a voice to voice conversation with this AI. And it's going to do all your scheduling for you as if you had a real human personal assistant. You guys get it? And it can pull all of the phone numbers. from. We were talking about this with our dermatologist yesterday. Yeah. Okay, so think about all the ways that people are communicating right now, right? You've got Messenger. You've got WhatsApp. And even just under WhatsApp, you've got however many WhatsApps are even in that you have to scroll, scroll right. through, right? You've got your voicemail. You've got your email. You've got text. You've got all these other things that you're doing. And so I know because I talk to coaching clients about this. Leads get lost in the abyss, right? And you can have one of these extensions that says find the phone number to somebody or schedule or send them my one schedule link and it can conglomerate all of that. Well, mess. that's what it's going to do. It's going to go for you. And it's even, it's even more badass than that. So <laughs> it's going to actually have the ability to monitor all those different, let's be honest, annoying places where people message you. Um, and then what it's going to do, it's going to, for you, converse with them as if it were you. You're not going to have to have a lot of the normal transactional type questions. If you like, we're going to go out and uh, with our neighbors tonight, and it's it, they texted me and they texted mm -hmm. Julie. And they probably messaged us on Instagram and whoever <laughs> yeah. else knows, right? Smoke well, signals. Yeah. The open AI is going to know that our schedule is open at that particular time. It's going to schedule for us. Going to have the conversation. But guess what? 
It maybe wasn't even them that was texting us in this you know, near future. It was their AI app that was conversing with our AI app trying to put our schedule together. Okay, it's so a little too sci-fi. Let me make it more practical. You can see how this is difficult to explain, but it is kind of fun to theorize, right? So we have to book airfare. We have different things we're doing for the rest of the year, as probably a lot of you are. Nothing is more annoying than using all those stupid travel things. You could go and start traveling, uh, booking airfare to wherever. And the next thing you know, the airfare has gone up or the seats are avail that were available two minutes ago aren't available anymore. Well, what's going to happen? And this app is in development right now. I know it for a fact. There is an app that's going to work with all that, that's an open AI, artificial intelligence app that's going to be able to interface with all of these different, uh, you know, travelocities and whatnot. And you're going to say, you know, I, let's see, even say you've named your AI. I don't know. I'm going to call mine Bob, right? <laughs> hey, hey, Not Bob. to be confused with other Bobs. Right. But. Well, you know, Bob. So Bob, <laughs> listen, I need to book airfare to, you know, Atlanta. And, you know, we're looking for flights that are after a certain amount of time. Da, 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 da. And just please get it done and let us, you know, boom, done. And it's going to get it done. It's going to run the card. It's going to basically take care of all the Mickey Mouse. It's going to act as a real human a super assistant. And that's, by the way, a great name, super assistant. Yes. We have, a, a, say for example, I want to, we don't, but let's say you want to go on to a, you know, a safari to Zimbabwe and you want to make sure you have all these experiences. Ask AI to, not, to essentially create the best itinerary ever covering all the details. And then once you peruse it and you maybe suggest some changes, then it goes back and it basically starts booking everything and it monitors. If in, when you're on the road, if there's any planes that are delayed or any things that happen, you get you know bit by a tiger, it's going to be able to actually plan for you. Planes delayed, we're going to go ahead and book the next flight. That is where all this is going. So for those of you who think that you're going to be replaced, you will be replaced if you're not able to actually evolve your skill set and your mindset to the reality that real estate is about being of service to other people. So where does this leave you? Doing the actual belly-to-belly, voice-to-voice conversations with the actual people that want to buy or sell real estate. And this is what I think is fascinating. So there is not there is a future for real estate agents, but there is a huge bright future for real estate agents that know how to leverage AI, that frankly aren't being pulled into the muck by some of the things we were talking about in the first you know, with regards to the, you know, buyer's agents commissions. Realize the best days ahead are, the best days of your life are still ahead of us. And guess what? Because of AI. I'll give you even this. When COVID hit, Julie and I, and those of you who listen to us every day, you know this is true. Julie and I were predicting that there was going to be, and we use the word renaissance. We believed that there was going to be a renaissance in art, music, technology, uh, the way that all of us lived. Now, we did not have anything to base our theory on. We did not certainly speculate about AI because of what we saw historically at what had happened after other plagues. There was a renaissance that followed almost all plagues. There's been many, 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 many plagues, some of them to different levels. Some of them had names. But, you know, at the end of the plague, there was a creative explosion. That's what we're all about to experience now. And it's being fueled by AI. Okay, proof. AI is now able to write books. AI is able to write poems. AI is able to write music. AI is now doing art. It's AI's passed the bar exam. It's passed medical exams. <laughs> right. It passes all kinds of entry exams. You know what? I, I always circle back to the most practical since I'm in it on all these calls all the time. And I was just having a conversation with Sue and Rachel Romans, okay? Great agents, elite coaching clients. And a lot of the conversation, because they're handling more things than they have before. They've got pendings. They've got new clients. They've got all these things going on. A lot of it was time management oriented, right? Right. And so I was thinking in the back of my mind, much as you've just presented, 
all of these things that AI can do for you, which remove you from the muckety-muck of the daily things, right? So that the agent who utilizes, who learns all of those things and, and really uses the future of AI, then it will get down to just pure presenting, face-to-face, -face, accomplishing the goal, client-to-client, -client, the human aspect, which you are paid highly to do. The highest and best use of any licensed agent is the listing appointment and getting a buyer-in contract. The rest of it, I think nearly all of it can probably go to AI. We've coached agents to hire their first assistant to be their transaction coordinator after they've done, depending on their price point, three transactions in a row for three months in a row. Depending on your price point, higher or lower. But here's the thing. All of you, as you add staff, as you build your team, as you build your brokerage, you lose margin. That's the reason most real estate brokerages have, in the best of times, they make less than 2% uh, net margin. And you, you still have to manage all that. Right. And it's a huge hassle with lots of liabilities. Yes. The old joke about if you want to be, uh, if you want to, <laughs> being a real estate broker just makes you broker, absolutely true. Mm -hmm. So here's the moral of the story. What if no longer do you have to scale up with all these human expenses? What if now... AI is easily able to do all those functions, doesn't ask for a raise, doesn't complain, doesn't, you know, have any kind of, you know, added Mickey Mouse that comes from having staff, virtual or otherwise. That's where we're going. And it's not going to be, oh, Tim, this is years from now. No, this is months from now. Mm -hmm. For a fact, much of what I've just theorized about and what Julie and I have been uh, preparing you guys for since COVID hit in March of what year was 2020. it? 2020. 2020. On my birthday. That's how I remember. Yeah, I know. It was like March 13th. Yeah. A day after her birthday. Um, but yeah, all that is now playing out and you're going to be able to be released from the binds and the sort of boundaries that have been imposed on us by the lack of having this technology and the new future that all of you are going to be able to leverage because of this creative renaissance, this creative explosion that's happening is going to make it so your future can be not just a little bit better than your past. And I don't care how old you are. It can be a billion times better than your past. There's going to be more opportunities for wealth uh, creation, more opportunities for new business models, new opportunities for, I mean, everything is going to be going through the roof. This is the renaissance that Julie and I were predicting. So there it is. I, we ended up talking about AI after all. After all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, so. Uh, happy Easter for all happy of you Passover that are listening. As well. Happy Passover. That's right. In the meantime, guys, please do give us a five-star review on iTunes. Hundreds of you have. Don't wimp out and give us a four-star. Give us a five-star review and give us a piffy comment. By the way, if you can't think of a piffy comment, ask ChatGPT to write it for you. That would be good too. <laughs> exactly. Guys, thank you for keeping this number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in at least the United States. It is our pleasure and it is our honor to be your real estate coaches. Have a fantastic day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.